This is Packer and Durham on ACCN and Sirius XM Channel 371. Packer and Durham, <laughs> the power hour is upon us. Chester's excited. Uh, well, Mrs. P just made a quick appearance. She did. Uh, yeah. She doesn't happen very often. Nope. But uh, she's headed to church, which is probably a good place for her after the uh, first two hours of this program. Uh, 844-SAY-ACCN is the number for the show oh. as we continue to stream live on the ESPN app. Danny Graves coming up in 30 minutes to talk ACC baseball. Tough night for ACC baseball. It's not the best of nights no. for our league. No. The league is really good. I mean, really good. But, but last, last night was night, not a good night. It was not the best of times. No. Um, we said going to the break that last Friday, Pat Forty works for SI.com, a talented guy, has been around a long time. He got Jack Swarbrick in a one-on-one. And Jack Swarbrick basically let loose, let go. And the, the headliner, the sparkler, is it's inevitable that in the mid-2030s, the breakup of all college sports will happen. I, you know what? He's saying something that a lot of people are thinking. I agree with him. And he put a timeline out there, but it's not just – he just didn't throw it up on the wall here. He's actually laid out – and Pat backed it up because Pat was able to go and chronicle the way the television contracts write. The ACC goes through 2035, 36. The Big Ten's in negotiation window now. It will not be a terribly long contract. The SEC is 33-34. It's right in a window. CFP's going to go to 12. We've talked about it. But what Jack Swarbrick did was tell you it's already on people's mind. That's the thing you need to know. There's no college athletic director, no college president, no nobody worth their salt in this game of major college athletics that's not looking at the next decade right now. They're looking at how they're going to finance it. They're looking at their physical plant from a facilities perspective. They're looking at their growth points. They're looking at their revenue streams. Television's a big part of that, right? I, I didn't think... Anything he said was out of line. Now, it blew up because he's the first one to put a timeline to it, I think, more than anybody else has. But you and I could have done that. We could have said, oh, by the way, the ACC expires in 36, two, three years before that, if there's going to be radical change. Oh, by the way, there's the 34 window. The Pac-12 and Big 12, they're on the clock behind the Big Ten's negotiation. It's not going to be a terribly long contract. Why? Because no television network's going to write that long a contract. And no conference will want that kind of handcuff, if you will, in my opinion. Uh, he also said that uh, he believes the college football playoff will wind up at 12. Sure. I, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, and, and, of course, the negotiations from a television perspective will be at a peak a couple years down the road. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Plus, what happens to streaming? Does that become a bigger Absolutely. influence in the negotiations? That certainly could happen. Uh, the other thing I think that grabbed everybody's attention was the fact he said there were many schools, many schools that would like to leave the respective conferences, but right now they're kind of handcuffed. They're restricted based on existing contracts. Now, yeah. that gets people to speculate instantly. I said the other day, 
uh, given what the media payouts are for both the SEC and the Big Ten, yep. you would be easy to surmise that nobody in those leagues is looking to get out of being incredibly rich. Not that everybody else is poor. That's not the case at all for the ACC, the Big 12, or the Pac-12. Everybody's doing okay. But in terms of the way the, the, the bar has been set with the Big Ten and the SEC, from a financial standpoint, there may be some that go, hey, how, how do we get a part of that club, right? Everybody's looking down the road at their finances. So he wouldn't name names when he got to that point. He got right to the edge and said, no, nah, I'd be better off not letting you know what that deal is. But right. I think it's safe to say that if you had members of the ACC – Big 12 and the Pac-12, there may be some folks that go, man, is it possible that this isn't going to work out? I I think we're going down the path, and I've said this for five, six years, that I think eventually you're going to have 40 or 50, no more than 60 teams playing big-time college football. Mm -hmm. And I think there will be a trickle-down effect for everybody else with that, too. I think he also was the first person to say that everybody in the CFP – oversight committee or the whatever this expansion committee was with Bob Bowles being Craig Thompson the working Saint, group the working group that everybody had their own idea that you know he and Sankey were not working in cahoots against the other two or whatever the case may be and the idea is that he thinks that the meeting since the the design of Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC his quote was the single oddest thing I've ever been through and talking about the lack of production in those meetings, almost like coming to a complete stop and the concerns that were raised by Pac-12, ACC, and Big Ten. The Alliance. The Alliance. So to a degree, you're talking about your own house, although you're, you're just here for certain portions of the year, not all the year, right? Um. So that was interesting to read from my standpoint. I, I thought that was, you know, you're you're in the deal here. Now you got a pretty good deal being in it, but do you want to be critical indirectly and in, and in, with the quote in my mind of of the place you're you're leasing space in? Well, there were some feathers that were ruffled amongst the real smart people, and I always say there's about five or six people mm-hmm. in college athletics that when they talk, speak, and say something, you should pay attention. When Greg Sankey says something, pay attention, right? Jack Swarbrick says something, pay attention. Right. Jim Phillips says something, pay attention. And there's a handful of them right. that have true power and, and some say-so getting things done. Uh, I think eventually, despite some feelings being hurt sure. here, uh, because that thing was on the fast track this time last year in terms of, hey, the playoff at 12 and it leaked out and all that stuff. And as soon as OU Texas news broke – you could see it. You could almost see it before you could hear it, mm-hmm. that it was going to come to a halt, and it did. And a lot of folks mocked the alliance. It's like, you know, you better take a step back and understand what's going on here. Mm-hmm. The, the alliance put a screeching halt to that. It's not what they, it was intended for exclusively. It's, there's a lot of other things at play here. But they will eventually get that worked out. There is too much money on the table. People are too smart in the room to eventually figure out a way to get that college football playoff to expand. In a short term, from a fan's perspective, if you wanted to see 12 teams, 8 teams, any kind of expansion, or will you be bummed out? Yeah, but you know what? You still got a four-team playoff. Right. We'll have the games. We'll have a tournament, and everything will be good down the road. Eventually, this is all going to happen. So I think that what Jack said the other day about it being inevitable uh, in terms of 2030, I think he's right about that. I think he's right about the number at 12. Uh, they will get that worked out at some point in time. Uh, and I do think the landscape is going to be totally changing. I, mm-hmm. I don't even know if we'll have conferences 15 years from now. That's that's I, a really I, fair I, question. And, and, and I again, 15 years from now, I'm going to be 
I don't know, modeling again or something. I don't know. But 15 years from now, I think that the world that we know of in college sports, Wes, will have a collection of the folks that have made the ultimate commitment. And what college sports even looks like, I couldn't even tell you what it's going to look like a month from now, much less 15 years. We've seen the change in the last two years. But like I said, we have a front row seat to watch all of this transformation. It is amazing to see what down, down which path we're going to go here with all this stuff. But all the smart people will get this thing worked out. They will. Um, it, it's just one of two things that's happened in the last four days, and the other being Mark Emmert's announcement or the NCAA's announcement that Mark Emmert's going to retire after 12 years, no later than the end of June 2023. So we're looking at, what, basically 13 months of, of his administration to go. Um, so we'll get to that in just a second. We have had some I, view- I'm not worried about his resignation. As I, who's I'm more selected? Cons- no doubt. Uh, to me, the next hire is so much more important I agree with that. than Mark Emmert being shown the door. Yeah. I, him walking out there, however well, you want to put it. And you mentioned Oliver Luck. I mentioned Jay Billis. There are other people who will be speculated as potential candidates for this. Jim Clement's name showed up Saw that. on a list last night. Uh, Greg Sankey's name showed up on a list last night. Uh, Condoleezza Rice's name was on a list. Uh, I think you have to find the person that can understand how fast this train's moving because it, they don't know in Indianapolis. Some in that building may, but the, the people of importance don't understand how fast that train's moving. And they just don't. And I'm sorry, and, and, and Mark Emmert has, uh, for all the good work he did on campuses around the country as a president, he has become a punching bag to college athletics because of some of the things that have taken place in the last three years. Well, his inability to get in front of name, image, and likeness in the transfer portal. No question. But we find ourselves And in the Austin absolute, case, right? Well, that was a disaster. Right. I mean, that was a utter disaster. Right. It, it ripped to the foundation of what the NCAA has ever been about. Mm-hmm. And that was game, set, match, as far as I right. was concerned. And he does not, and it's important to remember this, and I always kind of go back to the basic elements here, the blocking and tackling, so to speak. It's important to remember that the NCAA does not have one inch of landscape in the college football playoff. Zero. Not an inch. They don't touch any of it. The biggest, and I I know the Final Four was great this year and the tournament was great and the ratings and all that were good, but the fastest moving piece of what we're seeing now in major college athletics is the CFP, is it not? Uh, well, 100%. That's yeah. why football is so important. That's why when Jim Phillips goes to the microphone in July mm-hmm. and says, guess what? Football, football, football. Right. You've got to make a commitment to that sport. And this this particular conference has always been basketball-driven. Right. Uh, no disrespect to Clemson's great success, Florida State's great success. Hopefully Miami gets back to the glory days. Same thing mm-hmm. with Virginia Tech, et cetera, et cetera. But you have got to be competitive in football. Yeah. It has to happen in terms of what your future is going to look like, whether we're talking about the ACC, Pac-12, or anybody in between. Yeah, and uh, as, as Mark and I said, there, there are people out there, but I'm not sure that the, the standard idea of a institutional president or whatever the case may be or somebody you know, kind of off the beaten path type deal, I'm, I'm just not sure. You've got to find somebody that understands all the levels of this. In one form or fashion. And and by the way, is willing also to go in and get the support 
of the membership for reconstruction. Because you can't, even if you hire somebody new pack, you can't keep the current ideology in that building. That goes back to something Dabo Sweeney said about a week and a half, two weeks ago. And there were people in the media that actually ripped him who obviously either were not paying attention or have a vendetta against the guy. And Dabo said, hey, basically, he wants to blow this thing up. You know, the rules in place that Alabama works by is not the same thing at Middle Tennessee State. And he's a thousand percent right. We keep talking about. You try to do you know one rule for everybody. Right. Does it make common sense for folks that have budgets in the, the hundreds of millions to worry about what some guys going? Hey, how are we going to pay for shoulder pads? Right. It yeah. just you got to say, guess what? You have to understand you have a different caste system. Mm-hmm. You do multiple caste right. systems. So you know, use common sense. Make rules that can be applied to the parties that be. Right. It doesn't necessarily make sense. What works at North Carolina doesn't work necessarily at Davidson College, mm-hmm. right? You got yep. to be able to apply that. And I'll add one more thing, too, about this process. There needs to be, with the next president of the NCAA, a collaborative relationship with the Power Five commissioners. Oh. Not an adversarial relationship. Exactly right. Not a and, – and here's the other thing, too. The NCAA has got to move off the stupidity line. That's hard to do. They got to move off that line. Because let me tell you this we can't have where we're going right now, there is no place for the $200 this or the $300 that that shuts a program down. Okay, that kind of stuff. Then compared to what we've gone through with some of the basketball investigations, things of that nature, I mean, what are we doing? Right? So. You got to have a collaborative relationship. The next president, the NCAA, must work in collaboration with the Power Five commissioners who represent those institutions, because those institutions right there are going to carry the membership. We need to get rid of that word too. Well, I, I think the timing too for a czar for football and basketball is, is right yep. now. I think that may be as important as anything else. You really need some direction and some leadership and some real vision of where we are going and what coaches and student-athletes are going through and apply rules that make sense with today's modern world. Um, Before we go to break, Kenny Marshall has sent us a note this morning. Kenny lives in Manio, North Carolina. And uh, Kenny sent us a note and said – I had that outfit. <laughs> Freshman in high school, left in a locker after PE, leaving school. I saw some dude strutting down the street with orange pants. Told my buddy, that dude has a pair of sweats like mine. Unfortunately, they were mine. He stole them, I guess. <sighs> they were in hot demand. What can I tell you? And let me tell you this. We found out that uh, with International Man of Leisure, Mark Packer in that photo is the lovely Maria. Maria Ferry. Maria. Now she's married. Now I don't know what her, her last name is. Maria, good morning. She was a she uh Yes, she was sports information assistant. Yeah, yeah. That's was that from Mr. Her, B and Tim Beret? Tim Beret and, and Bob Bradley. Is that in the Joe Irwin era too? That could have been. Yeah. But uh, Maria and I became buds in the sports information office. Yeah. Does that work? Some would and think they said we need a very attractive man and woman. To showcase this. They said, Maria, you're in. And they looked at me and they went, <laughs> then we went. Does anybody want to do this? What about that boy from the golf team? (laughs) Let's get that boy from the golf team to be on that picture there. What do you think about that? Oh, man. Was that Bill McClellan, the AD, then? 
Uh, no, Bobby Robinson. Uh, Bobby Robinson had yeah. just taken him. Bobby was the Let's golf coach. Let's get that coach. boy from the golf team. Bobby was the golf coach, moved up to become eventually the athletic That's director. Right. And then this guy, Larry Penley. Yeah, Lawrence Penley. We also had a picture of Larry. Yeah. God love him. Yeah. So uh, there you go. Now the rest, you know the rest of the story. Yeah, you do. Servassier. No, you weren't. Thought you were suave, Rico suave. <sighs> you were not. Uh, when we come and back, I'm still not. nobody in an orange, <laughs> all orange, all hey, orange all sweatsuit. Orange. Hey, they didn't call this thing Orange Aids for nothing. No, Orange no. Aids, eighty-four catalog. Oh, did the people at Live Aid know you were calling that Orange hey, Aid? Hey, don't. Hey, you want to lawyer up? Call somebody else. I got nothing to do with it. I'm just, I'm really, just, I'm just the model. Yeah, sure you are. <laughs> Good, good to hear you weren't paid. Oh, uh, no. I paid them. Yeah, that's right. When we come back, $25.99. We will. This all orange outfit. We're going to. We're going to dig into the best of the best in women's lacrosse, and we will do that next ahead of the championship uh, beginning later today on ACC Network. This is the Packer and Durham Podcast. Carolina, Boston College, Syracuse. Pac told you earlier in the show, one, two, three, nationally, right? Each had six all-ACC honorees on the first and second teams to lead all schools. BC led all programs with five, count them, five first-team honors. UNC had four. When we go through these names, I kid around earlier when we were talking about Virginia and Ricky Stokes, seems like he was there forever. When we go through these names, yes, if you've watched us with any regularity at all this right. time of the year, you're going to be like, they're still there? Uh-huh. They're still there? It's amazing the experience that you have yeah. with this list of not good, but great players. Yep. Look at the grad seniors. Look at just grad, grad, senior, senior. I mean, just amazing, isn't it? Uh, here, here's the all-ACC team. First team, we'll start with the attack. Charlotte North, what else do we need to say? Four and a quarter goals per game. The average is the highest in the ACC, best amongst Power Five, fifth overall behind Abby Holmes, Haley Radigan, Sienna Gore of Kennesaw State, and Mary Soares of Siena. I mean, superstar. There's a bunch of superstars on this list. Yeah. Big time. And here is the uh, midfield. And the defense and the goaltender, Ali Mastriani, has had a great year at Carolina. Bell Smith, Emma Tyrell. We just had Bell on the show this week mm-hmm. while you're golfing. And uh, poor sophomore, how'd she get on there, right? Yep. How good do you think she's going to be a couple years down the road? Yeah. You see Emma Trenchard, Sydney Scales, Courtney Taylor, Taylor Marino in goal uh, on the first team all ACC. We mentioned Charlotte North. You know how good she is. Jamie Ortega is every bit the equal when it comes to just scoring 429 points in 83 games, it's a UNC record 5.17 points per game. At least one goal in 48 straight, five or more 31 times, and a whopping 37%. How about that? I'm telling you, the ladies are spectacular. Yeah. Sixth in the nation, by the way, right now in points per game. That's why I asked the question. It may be harder to win the ACC championship than Mm. it is the NCAA championship. Um, I know that sounds like an arrogant, ridiculous comment, but just think about that a second. Yeah. One, two, and three are in the league. 
Megan, you throw Notre Dame and Duke. That was the one game that Rachel was talking about that, hey, be careful, right? I mean, Duke just knocked off BC the other day. Right. Just saying. Megan Tyrell, fourth nationally in points, 93. She's fifth in goals with 63, 21st in assists with 30, tied for third in the nation in shot percentage. She scores more than 60% of the time she shoots. <laughs> just the – Well, you're going to get a showdown, Wes. I mean, by Sunday, we're going to have two teams left standing in this mm-hmm. ACC tournament. And again, the higher seed gets to host the following week. Yep. And whatever the combination is, again, well, you know, you can't crystal ball and say, hey, it's going to be one against two. Well, you never know. I mean, as many good teams as you've got in the conference, who knows what's left standing. But you're almost guaranteed an incredible championship yeah. game. Uh, Catriona Berry of Duke. Another grad student leads the ACC in assist and the only member of the conference in the top 20 nationally in that category. And she's on first team as an attack. Blue Devils, of course, Packer just told you, beat Boston College, and they've had a good year for Kirsten. There's Catriona. Jen Medjid is next, senior from Boston College, at least five points in nine games this year. Producing 13 hat tricks, she had a stretch of 10 straight games with at least three scores. Is that any good? <laughs> well, there's so many attackers in this conference that when we're watching these highlights, you're like, well, you can't stop that. Yeah. Well, that's basically correct. That's why there's so many points being scored. Maddie, I mean, there's great offensive players in this Maddie conference. Maddie Jenner's next, led the nation with 212 draw controls, averaging almost 13 a game. We've had Maddie on the show. Yep. She was fabulous. Just on a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Off to Syracuse next. After you see Maddie bang one in. Emily Harris Chuck, all time leading goal scorer for the Orange. They've had a few. 57 goals this year. She's 12th nationally, including their coach. Yeah, about to say. Surpass Kayla Trainer, you've done some things. Congratulations to Emily. Ashlyn McGovern of Virginia. Richard Sr. next. Man, 14 a, games with multiple goals, 11 hat tricks. a bullet, man. Look at that thing. Yeah. Good luck. Hey, why bother? Let's go get a hot dog. <laughs> yeah. That's against Maryland, by the way. Uh, Ali Mastriani. 2021 ACC midfielder of the year. had 31 goals in 14 games as a midfielder. My yeah. goodness. That's why you win 800 in a row in the regular season. <laughs> Bell Smith is on this list. First team all-conference. Second straight year. Second in the conference. In conference play, I should say, in assist. 21. She was delightful to talk to this oh, week. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. Uh, Emma Tyrell of Syracuse next. 50 points on 30 goals and 20 assists in the first 12 games before being sidelined the rest of the year with an injury. I was going to say injuries were a problem. Yep. No doubt, but she's yeah. a great player. There's another one. Nice little handoff there. Casey Choma of Notre Dame is next. Junior seems to save her best for conference play, averaging 3.14 goals per game against the ACC. Iris get a little home field advantage in this deal now, Pac. Yep. Then hurt. No, nope, you're right about that. Emma Trenchard is next of North Carolina. She's a senior. 
Third season in a row, she's made first team all ACC. Congratulations to Emma. On the defensive side, we move to, by the way. Uh, also featuring Sydney Scales of Boston College. A sophomore pack on this list. Yeah, they're not many. No. And th- it should tell you how quality it is mm-hmm. because all these, like you said, seniors and grad students yep. who've been down the road who could really play, and you get somebody that young still cracking this list, that's yep. pretty good. Courtney Taylor of BC is also on the, uh, on the march on defense. Second among active leaders, 164 ground balls, and fourth with 104 cause turnovers. And the goaltender is Taylor Marino, 62-6 and six <laughs> as a goalie, one of just seven nationally to give up less than eight goals per game. Twelve of the 16 first-team honorees and 20 total are seniors or grad students. Impressive. Yeah, no kidding, huh? Congratulations to all of those young ladies. League's pretty good in this sport, folks. They no getting around it. If you love your lacrosse, we got you. This yeah, is the league you. for you, man. You got it. it really is. Uh, stand by when we come back. Danny Graves next. What's going on in baseball here? Winding our way here through April into May, working our way toward the tournament in Charlotte. I don't know if we should be concerned about last night. We'll check a scoreboard and talk to Danny in a moment. Packer and Durham. Danny Grace joins us again this morning. There's the Raptor sitting in there. What are you doing? Hey. <laughs> Pack is not impressed with that nickname <laughs> at no, all. No, I don't no. think he... No, 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 no. It's not that I'm not impressed with it, but, you know, when you make reference to my truck, I'm not looking to impress anybody. It's just an old Ford F-150. Graves got a like <laughs> 13-year-old like truck. That's what I'm driving. Graves got some souped-up thing they show on one of those car shows on the weekends when you turn to some no, you know, channel that. on TV and all of a sudden that was, see... that was a long time ago. Oh, I don't okay. have that anymore. Oh, okay. Oh, that right. was just a toy. Oh, <laughs> well, you got that big – you know what, when you get that – well, you know, like I said, I, I'm just glad mine starts. That's what I'm always looking for. When I turn, it, when I turn on the ignition and it starts, I'm like, I'm yeah. in business. I'm not looking to impress yeah. anybody. It starts and it gets me to where I need to go. That's all I worry about. All right. Uh, exactly. I'm just glad it's a Ford pack. That's Ford all. F, that's old Ford F-150. That's, that's what I'm need. driving. Yeah. Old beat up truck. That's all right. right. Danny, we're, uh, we're working through some things here. Um, let's start with Notre Dame because – the Irish are, are pretty interesting, right? They've got – they may have the best pitcher in the league. I mean, we talked about Parker Messick. John Bertrand, you mentioned him the last visit, and he's done nothing but stud it on up for him, it looks like. He's um, he's unbelievable. He's – you know, somebody told me this. Uh, Mike Rooney, I, feel, I think I told you guys this. He calls him the, uh, a broke Andy Pettit. And I'm telling you, this guy just wins. It doesn't matter who he pitches against, he wins. And, and he pitches great. He gets deep into the game. And it's it's amazing, guys, because you when you just watch him, it's like this guy is not – like his stuff isn't electric. It's not going to – doesn't seem like it's going to trick you. But he throws strikes, and he throws strikes with all of his pitches, and he throws them at every quadrant of the strike zone at any right. count. So now as a hitter, you're guessing all these different things uh, for one pitch. And – you know, he's a big guy, and you, you expect 95 to 98 coming out, and it's not that. But this guy knows how to pitch, man. And the mound presence, you see the confidence that he has out there. And it's like 
here you go, hit this. And uh, it's, it's just amazing to watch him go out there and just carve up people in, in the ACC and, and everywhere else for that matter. Danny, between uh, as far as the Atlantic division goes, all right, mm-hmm. right now, Louisville and Notre Dame are tied at first place, right? 11 and 7 in league play. Of those two coming down the stretch, who's got the advantage? Who do you like better, Notre Dame or Louisville, to close the deal there? Or maybe somebody else? Man, yeah, you guys always ask the easy questions. I, <laughs> I mean, this is terrible. You give me these, you give me these questions, and it's like you can go either way, right? I can pick either one, and I, I it's not a wrong answer because both of them are very good. And, and Louisville, especially, they're raking right now. They've got so many guys on their on their team that just absolutely uh, rake at the plate. They got guys that double digit home runs. But like, if you're making me pick. You know, I did a little research on the the rest of their schedule for the rest of the season, and looking at it, Notre Dame has an easier schedule. They play less ranked teams throughout the rest of the season, and I know it's it, it's baseball, so anything can happen. But Notre Dame's toughest series they have is Miami. Well, if you look at Louisville, within seven games, they play Virginia Tech and Virginia, hmm. and those are six very very tough teams. So. And not to say that they're not going to play well against them and not to say that that's going to knock them out of the, you know, getting into the tournament, but they have a tougher schedule. Notre Dame, to me, has an easier schedule, and they have the best defense in the ACC. They have the best uh, pitcher in the ACC. They have, as a staff, I think they're second in ERA uh, in the ACC. So they have a lot more going for them uh, right now. So with all that said, if you're making me pick, I'm going with the Irish. Hmm. Um. I want to pivot a little bit about pitching here again. Uh, I was looking at numbers, and uh, Drew Hackenberg at Virginia Tech is kind of like this outlier to me. I mean, you're 8-0, you're second in the league in ERA. How in the world is a freshman doing this, Danny? So, you know, watching that game that he threw at Fenway last weekend Mm -hmm. uh, against Boston College and and just watching his uh, demeanor – like if I didn't know he was a true freshman, you would have thought this guy had been pitching as a fifth-year senior. The way that he was going out there and give me the ball, and I'm coming right at you. And if something happens, give me the ball again, and I'll just go right back at you again. You know, he had no um, nothing faced him, and and I think I know why because he's got three older brothers and three mm-hmm. older brothers that are very very athletic. You know, we all know Christian Hackenberg, uh, right. quarterback from Penn State. He's got another brother who was the captain of a soccer team at Penn State. Another brother was captain of the Clemson baseball team uh, just last year gets drafted. So he's got all these older brothers that probably tormented him growing up. So he learned how to play with the big boys. You know, he learned at an early age. So the ACC baseball doesn't phase this guy. And you watch him and he's just out there. His changeup is filthy, which is, you know, you don't really see many right-handed pitchers with good changeups. And he commands the strike zone. He's so fun to watch. And, you know, I actually picked him last week as my uh, one of my players of the week uh, f- for the pitchers. And, uh, like, just the guy is amazing, man. 8-0 as a true freshman. Who would have thought, right? By the way, this weekend, Virginia and Virginia Tech Ooh. hook up on the Ooh. diamond. Now, that has got those yeah. two. It doesn't matter if they're having great years, bad years, whatever. They'll be juicy. But, man, both of them are hitting the baseball. That'll be a great series. Yeah. You know, a week ago we had you on, and Duke had just knocked off Notre Dame in the first game. And I said to you, 
are we going to see this movie again where Duke kind of stinks it up for the most part and all of a sudden catch hot and all of a sudden you're like, hey, I need to see more. They swept Notre Dame. And now I'm watching them against Georgia Tech over the weekend. <laughs> and they hit 10 home runs uh, in the Georgia yeah. Tech series. And all of a sudden they're hitting everything that moves. I know we start talking about all these teams above 500, but is Duke one of these teams that could really be a thorn in everybody's side coming down the stretch? Yeah, you know, throughout the season, I think everybody looks at Duke and Boston College and thinks that these two teams are the weak links in the ACC, but we see the way that Duke is coming out mashing, you know, a little bit late. I don't think it's going to help them to get into the tournament, but I think they're going to be some serious spoilers coming up. They're going to hurt a lot of people's feelings the way that they're playing right now. Uh, you know, against Georgia Tech, I watched a, a lot of those games, and um, Georgia Tech's pitching is not very good. Nope. But Duke took advantage of every one of them not very good pitchers. You know, they didn't they didn't just let it go. They they went out swinging. Uh, R.J. Shrek, I mean, we heard his name a lot over the weekend. So I think they could be spoilers coming down. Uh, down to the end of the season, but at the end of the day, I think it's a little too late. There's too many other good teams in the ACC. Danny, who are you most concerned about, and then maybe who should we be kind of wagering on, leaning to for this stretch drive? I mean, is there somebody you're thinking is midline who's in real trouble, and is there somebody midline who we think, okay, keep an eye on them down the line? So I I think Florida State – worries me because you know coming into the season they they've had the best starting rotation uh, at least on paper coming into this season you know with Parker Messick and Bryce Hubbard those two guys alone could beat anybody in the country so not that they're pitching poorly because they're not they're pitching great but their offense guys their offense is struggling like, it's hard for them to score runs so they'll get into the tournament but you know, they need to score runs to win. It doesn't matter how good those guys pitch. So uh, Florida State worries me a little bit. Um, and, and the other part is who doesn't worry me? Is that what you were asking, Wes? Well, who who do you think, like, if Florida State concerns you, who's the team in the middle you're thinking, okay, they got a chance to make a little bit of a run here late to, to kind of set themselves up for postseason? Uh, NC State. Okay. Because of Elliott Avent. I know Elliott is a is – a, regular on y'all's show and i love hearing him on your show but elliot avid what he does for this team it doesn't matter who they have what you know freshmen seniors whatever he's going to get them to play and, and you know you see how great tommy white has been for them um they're starting to pick up where they left off last year you know they were one of the better teams in the whole in all of college baseball mm. and got hosed in the college world series but uh, you see how good of a team that they are, and they're starting to play a lot better, and they're, they're a team that could probably surprise a lot of people and get back to where they were. Danny, has Miami separated themselves? I mean, this is a league that's got a handful of teams in the top 25. There's really good baseball teams here, but has Miami separated themselves from everybody else? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some heat for this, but um, <laughs> if you would ask me that, if you would ask me that same question on Saturday, I would have said yes, hands down, they just – ran away with it, this is theirs, and whatever. But Sunday's game concerned me because Rosario, their Sunday uh, pitcher, he has not had a good year, and they continue to throw him out there, and it kind of worries me a little bit. Um, and then last night they get hammered by Stetson, which Stetson has, has always been a very good baseball program, but when you have these teams come in on the weekdays, you need to beat them. you got to beat the teams you're supposed to beat, and Stetson is one of those teams that Miami's supposed to beat. So 
not that I'm overly concerned about them, uh, but I don't think that they have run away with it. If you asked me last week, I would have said yes. Hmm. Well, it, it I'm was trying a, to say that the nicest way I can. No, no I get it. But, but you know what? Last night, if you just you know, landed you look at the, the scoreboard, it's crazy. Yeah, you look at the scores last night in the it's ACC and like, go, man, what happened what to everybody? Happened? It was yeah. just one of those kind of goofy nights, yeah. uh, midweek games. You can get those sometimes. But uh, the league yeah. did not have the best of nights last night. All right, my man. Good to no. see you. Appreciate it as always. Well, thanks, guys. I'll be on with Virginia George Mason tonight if you're bored. <laughs> what do you mean? Stop. What do you mean bored? No, we're Shameless doing games. Plug. I got to throw it in there. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I'm all for that. Absolutely. I love, I love it. Get out of here. Danny Graves, always fantastic with it. All right, here's a quick check of the scoreboard. Now, we're not kidding. A little was, rough night. It was a weird night. A weird night in the league. Yeah. BC won 5-3, seven innings. Stetson beat Miami 12-4. Troy blew it open late to beat Georgia Tech. Michigan State a winner in East Lansing against Notre Dame. High Point and Wake Forest, 20 runs. Louisville, Western Kentucky, cards win there. Clemson beat the Blue Hose by nine. NC State in East Carolina, that was right here on ACC Network last night. Our rates back to Greenville taking an L. Yeah, we've had better nights in the league in baseball. Yeah, we have. Know. But there's some uh, good teams, man. I tell you, that tournament here in Charlotte's going to be great in May. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, when we come back, Clemson's got a first-time coach. Yep. First-time sport. We'll chronicle that. And uh, all access with Pitt's women's lacrosse team. This is a documentary that's going to be fantastic. Debuts later in the week. We will uh, tell you about that and more coming up. Packer and Durham. Here's Mark Packer and Wes Durham. excited to introduce you to our first ever women's lacrosse coach here at Pitt. I've never met a coach that I look up to the way I look up to a boss. This emotion, my anger is real. Every day matters. Some days are tougher than others. You just gotta remind yourself why you're here. So when we walk out of this locker room, we need to show them what the steel mentality is all about. The atmosphere for our first game was absolutely insane. I was just so excited to finally have Pitt across my chest. It just felt so special knowing that we were going to be the first one stepping on the field. Oh, and the diving shot to goal! That one is going to go down in history. This whole first season's been surreal. It just felt like this immense amount of support from the entire city. Great dodge, and that's a goal! First ever win! We want to build this legacy to become a powerhouse. See it debuts on June 23rd at 7 o'clock. All access and exclusive with Pitt's women's lacrosse team, the first year of the program. You writing that down? I'm running June 23rd down. 7 o'clock. I thought you were going to give me like, hey, coming up on Tuesday. No, no, June 23rd. June 20. Is that That's of it. 2022? Yes. Okay. That's of this year. Couple, seven weeks. 2022-ish. Got it. Uh, it's the first season in school history. They gave ACC Network unprecedented access to the first year in the program. And here's a preview of what you'll see when this debuts on June 23rd.
There was a lot on the line. I mean, every time we play an ACC opponent at this point, we're looking for a win. We saw Louisville as a, you know, an equal competitor, and it was really important for our program's momentum moving forward to win the game. Head coach Scott Teeter, the head coach of the Cardinals. He is also currently the head coach of the Canadian women's national team. And that leads them to an interesting situation today because he is coaching against Emily Boissonneau, who has played for Scott Teeter. Uh, yeah, friends before and friends after. Yeah, and yeah. Up. yeah, we're competitors. Like, Absolutely. It's fun. You know, and I think there was some friendly competition between coaches, you know, with them being Canadian and, and us having such a strong relationship. So it's a, a pair of coaches here, very familiar with one another, their styles, their tendencies and we'll see how that plays out today as we are ready to get it going here in Pittsburgh. We set the standard for the future of this program, okay? And we're underway, a battle for the initial possession. The talented goal scorer for Pitt gets it off to Madison Cattell, right back to Jones, down the middle, and Pitt scores. Pouring here in Pittsburgh, and right now it's pouring goals for the Panthers. talk about players uh, embracing senior day Chloe Jones doing just that it was a really exciting day to celebrate our seniors but it was bigger than that and we were hunting for our first ACC win but a good first half for Pitt we've been focused a lot on playing hard for the full 60 minutes of the game um, it's no secret that we struggle through the third quarter halftime this is our enemy Halftime is our enemy, and today we are going to overcome it. <laughs> what a shot by Paige Petty that was. To the top right corner of the goal. And she scores. It has struggled in third quarters this year. That might be their best of the season. Hey, wait a minute. First and foremost, like it's a game of runs. There is a good way to start the comeback trail if you're Louisville. Just a, a blazing shot and another goal for the Cardinals. Hey, can we get a time? We got a timeout. You know they're going to score, and sometimes it's going to be two times in a row. It's what you do with that next play. Working it in, yes. and she scores. Kate Elam with the goal, and that might be the dagger. As the clock runs out, the Panthers storm the field. History for the Pitt Panthers. They win in the ACC for the first time. I just want you guys to really understand like what a win like that means. And I thought every single one of you went out there and you made a difference and you played as a team. And that's what we've been talking about. June 23rd, 7 o'clock, my man. Yep. I wrote it down in ink. Yep. Be there prompt. This is uh this has been quite a show here today. Um Georgia Drummy was with us, fabulous Duke women's tennis champion. Uh Rachel DeCecco talking about lacrosse. It starts at two o'clock this afternoon. Danny Grimes or Danny Graves catching us up on baseball. And that's not even the highlight of the show. <laughs> because in the first hour, if you missed it. All right. Torn from the pages of the Orange AIDS catalog, 1984, there kids. There right there. Yeah, right there it is. That got sent to you by somebody, and the next thing C. C. you know. C.C. Dalton. C.C. Dalton sent it to us. Sent it to you, and the next thing you know, we got my man right it there. Is. Look at that, huh? huh? Yep. Part of the modeling career, which came to a yep. brief screeching halt right after this well, i'll tell you what i'm gonna do before we go my brother saw this picture the lovely maria ferry yeah my brother saw that picture that's not my wife by the way i've no, got a that's... couple people on twitter boy no. are a great looking couple no, no, we never dated we were just friends she would have never never dated that guy uh right there. there's probably some accuracy yeah. in that statement yeah 
Uh, you can see the scowl on her face. Like, would he please yeah. get his hand off my shoulder? My brother, Taylor, yeah. saw this picture, and he said, lest you don't get equal time today, and he sent this. Uh-oh. Six-year-old West Durham at the Luau. Nice. 1972 Rainbow Classic. Yeah, that's Ray Height over the top of the uh, young lady's head. The former Tar Heel guard, Billy Height's brother. That is beautiful. And that's uh, six-year-old Western. Look at the shorts, kids. Huh? Huh? Don't let the white T-shirt fool you. Cuddling up. That's I was, huh? At what point in time did you go, Servassier? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> George Carl looked at me and went, hey, huh? I think she likes you. Yeah, sure. George, she's paid to like everybody that comes uh, in. Ah, huh? what a show. Just imagine what the rest of the spring and summer is going to be oh, like, right? Oh, it's just scratching the surface. Hey, Cartersville, see you in the morning for Draft Thursday. Packers all waiting on Kenny Pickett to go six tomorrow night. Come on, Kenny. Let's go. We'll see you at seven. Tune into Packer and Durham weekday mornings from 7 to 10 Eastern for the best conversations about everything from the ACC. Find it on the ACC Network, Sirius XM Channel 371, and streaming on the ESPN app.